0: All right, uh, Jonah chapter 2, I'm actually going to read uh, verse 17 from, verse, uh, from chapter 1 uh, as well to kind of reorient and remind us where we are. So the word of the Lord says this, and the Lord anointed or appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains." And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And this is the word of the Lord. I'm really glad you guys are sitting down because I'm going to tell you something, and it's going to come as a shock to many of you, if not all of you in this room. I was not a perfect child growing up. I know, I know, I know. I'm going to to pause for it, let that sink in. I often broke the rules, mouthed off to my parents, disobeyed instruction, and I lied to cover it up. Now that that's out of the way. uh, Almost every single time I would get caught, uh, I would freak out because I was informed that I would receive a spanking. I was spanked as a child, my father would spank me. My dad was this big man, uh, big, short round. We looked like the number 10 if we stood next to each other. Uh, and he had these giant hands, the hands of a police officer and a fireman uh, and oftentimes a minister of the word. He had all the cool jobs growing up that I thought was awesome at least. Uh, and he would be like, Nathan, you're going to get a spanking. One time, honestly, he was preaching a sermon. I was three years old. I was goofing off in the back, middle of the sermon. He goes, Nathan Stevens, you don't stop right now. You're going to get a spanking when you get home. And then he went right back into preaching. And I said, that's the man I want to be. <laughs> so uh, and I'll tell you what, I kept quiet the whole rest of the service. Um, but anyways, my dad would tell me that I would get, was going to get spanked and I would be in my room for what seems like an eternity. And we had this long hallway in my house growing up that was kind of tiled, so you could hear the footsteps. They were like the reckoning bells of my father coming to whoop me. One time he admitted that he would just stand outside and just go, just because I would be on the other room going, like freaking out. <laughs> so he would come in, he would sit down on the bed next to me, uh, tears running down my face. Uh, he would say, all right, Nathan, bend over. And he would tell me what I did was wrong. And then my father, Darren Ray Stevens, would utter the biggest lie that has ever been spoken on earth since the serpent said, did God really say? He said what? This hurts me more than it hurts you. And then I would receive the beating that I probably deserved. I was severely disciplined by my dad for what I would do wrong. And again, let's be honest, church. Did I deserve it? No, well, come on. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, yes, I absolutely deserve Wow, I love my church family. They're always by my side and supportive. Wow, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yes, I totally, totally deserved it. Uh, and when we look at our text this morning, we see in the second chapter of Jonah the discipline of the Lord over him. Between chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's a time gap. So you'll recall chapter 1 ends with the fish swallowing Jonah, and then chapter 2 picks up at the end of his three days. So there's been a three-day gap between this. It's right before the fish fish spits him up on dry land. But how did we get here? Well, it was because of the discipline of God on his child. And, And I think if we all stop and think, We can all think of a time where we ourselves were disciplined by God and how we came out the other end better for it. So today, my hope and desire is that we will look at discipline from the Lord, why it's such a good thing and a blessing in our lives and not something that we should despise, abhor, or be immensely afraid of. So our main idea this morning is similar to what I just said, that the discipline of God is a blessing on his children. The discipline of God is a blessing on his children. Now, I understand calling it a blessing sounds like a strong word to use because if we look at our earthly relationships being disciplined by a parent or a supervisor at work or just whoever in our lives often seems like an attack on our personhood and on our pride. So when we often will then translate that to the Lord. And so when the Lord disciplines us, we kind of like, well, why would you do that to me? I'm uh, the golden child. Uh, why would you do that, Lord? I'm like varsity Christian over here. Why are you disciplining me? And again, my hope is today that you will view discipline of God as something to be thankful for rather than to despise it and to see it for something that it is not. And before we get into what discipline from God is and what it looks like in our lives, I want to spend some time talking about what discipline is not. Because when we eventually then get to talking about discipline and we look at the words of Jonah in chapter 2, we'll have a better understanding of where he's coming from and where we can come from when we view it. But first, we want to look at what it's not. So first, what is discipline? discipline is not karma. Discipline is not karma. So we touched on this last week, uh, and this is a good opportunity to go a little bit deeper uh, with this. If something bad happens to us, don't we all typically think that God uh, is the one responsible and we did something wrong? I mean, like anything bad. You show up five minutes late to work. You hit all the red lights on Preston coming in to church. That's the Lord. I shouldn't have been late. I shouldn't have done this or that. And the Lord is punishing me. Uh, I know I sure struggle with that. In fact, honestly, if I can be vulnerable, the biggest struggle of my spiritual life is viewing God as a karmaic force. If I do good, God's going to bless me. And if I do evil, God's going to punish me. I struggle with that even to this day. God is not though, this is what we have to understand. God is not going to discipline us right off the bat in some severe manner for one sin or one screw up. If we're familiar with the Old Testament, I think a lot of times we like to think of the story of Moses in Numbers chapter 20. Uh, If you're familiar with that story, uh, then you know what happens. But if you're not, uh, Moses is commanded by God to speak to a rock and water will flow from the rock. But Moses disobeys and in his anger he strikes the rock and water still flows out of it. But because of Moses' one blunder, one disobedient act, God punishes him severely by banning him from entering the promised land. And I admit to you again, that is a passage I really try not to get angry with God at. Because if we've read the Bible, we know Moses is like the guy. Like Moses is the boy. Like he does everything right. Early on in his life, he screws up, but he repents, and then he just leads faithfully. He is God's person and spokesperson. And he messes up this one time. And God punishes him so severely. Now, we don't have time this morning, and it's not the point of this text either, to go into why God punished Moses that way. I encourage you, if you want to know why God not only did that, but had to do that, talk to me afterwards. Uh, But that is a one-off situation. But what we tend to do is we view that, we read that in Numbers 20, and then we think those same truths apply to me. I, Keith made the joke last week and Keith and I often in the office, uh, when we should be working, will joke and be like, Hey man, I didn't read my Bible yesterday. So, uh, I'm probably gonna get a wreck tomorrow. I might be late a little bit late. Uh, or Hey man, like I forgot to pray over my meal. I'm probably gonna get food poisoning tomorrow. So just, you know, we like to joke about that, uh, because we tend to view that God is a God of karma. A lot of times, like I do something bad, God's going to punish me in some way, shape or form. But friends, that is not the way God operates and that is not a reflection of God and his true character that we see in scriptures. So when we get sick or we get chewed out at work or the power goes out, it's not necessarily because God is punishing me. Uh, I'd encourage you to trace this phrase throughout the Old Testament. It's it's repeated constantly. I just picked out Psalm 103, eight to say it, but we read this verse, "'The Lord is merciful and gracious.'" Slow to anger, and we could also substitute discipline, and abounding in steadfast love. So we look at the idea of Moses, and we we might pull out some coincidences, if you want to call it that, and say, oh, well, that's the Lord disciplining me. Uh, I didn't even get a chance to repent, but we neglect the whole host of Scripture elsewhere. I mean, wasn't Samson the judge given opportunities all throughout his life to repent before God disciplined him? If you read the story, Samson has like 10 years of wicked decisions and close calls before he's finally disciplined by God, before God steps up and does something. Not steps up, that that sounds bad, but comes onto the scene, I should say. And what about Achan in Joshua chapter seven? Uh, he violates the law. God commands that everything in this town should be destroyed, and Achan steals some of the, the treasure and keeps it for himself. But didn't Achan have chance after chance to repent before God disciplined him? I mean, they go, they cast lots to find out what's going on, and they they cast lots by tribe by clan, by family, and then by man. So Achan had all of these opportunities to repent before he was disciplined, but he didn't. And so the Lord punished him. He was eventually stoned to death for breaking God's commandments, and he never owned up to it. So, so what I'm trying to say is this. God is going to give you, friends, chance after chance, time after time, to ask for forgiveness, to return to the path of godliness. Hear me, his discipline is real, and his discipline is ready to be handed out to his children. But do not think that one bad decision in your life, if you belong to Christ, leads to God's infinite wrath upon you. Now, I want to be very clear here. Am I telling you to step off the path because you can get a freebie here and there? No, Absolutely not. Romans says, should we continue to sin that grace may abound? No, certainly not. What I am saying, though, should bring you joy, not as a free pass to sin, because then I believe you will get disciplined for your abuse of grace. But what I'm telling you should bring you joy so that when you do inevitably mess up, and let's be honest, we're going to mess up, we're going to sin. We can say to the Lord, God, I'm sorry for what I did. But thank you for being patient with me and waiting. You are so good to me. Friends, discipline is not to be mistaken as karma. There, I, let me, everybody look at me. There's no such thing as karma, okay? I'm, let, me, let me say that again just so Patty can say thank you. Again. No, there is no such thing as karma, okay? There's no such thing as karma. There's no such thing as luck. No. And nothing like that, Okay? God does not deal in karma, okay? So, with that out of the way too, something else we need to understand about discipline. Number two, discipline is not given to other people because of our sins. Now, I want to be clear. God does in the Old Testament punish corporately Israel for Israel's sins. But down in our lives, one-on-one, God does not punish you for something I did, and God does not punish me for something that you did. Now, you might also interject and be like, well, hang on, Nathan. I thought Achan in Joshua chapter 7's whole family was stoned. That kind of seems pretty straightforward to me. And yes, you're correct, but that is because they also sinned, that they covered it up, that they neglected to obey God's law as well. They knew about what Achan, uh, the father, did, and they didn't repent. So they were also given chance after chance to repent, and they were eventually stoned with him. But my point is this. God is going to deal with you and you only when you sin. We see this clearly in Jonah chapter 1, I believe. Nothing bad happens to the sailors It's nothing that they haven't seen before. Yes, the storm and the winds happen and they panic and they get scared, absolutely, but they are not harmed in any way. The punishment is only dished out once Jonah is removed from the quote-unquote innocent in this specific situation. We see in verse 15 and then 17 of chapter one, they picked up Jonah and then hurled him into the sea. So now that he's removed from the situation, removed from other people, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow him up. He waits until he's away, and then he deals with the punishment. When God disciplines us, it's between us and him. God does not strike ill your spouse or your child to discipline you. When I was younger, when I was in high school, junior high or whatever, uh, I, a lot of my relatives, I've shared my story before, a lot of my relatives are getting sick and in the hospital and we're filing like, bankruptcy. Like, we're doing all of these things. My life's falling apart. And in my arrogance, my pride and my narcissism, I say, Lord, stop going after them to get to me. Our beef is between you and me. I was not living a godly life at the time, so I was very angry with the Lord. I spoke a little bit too audaciously, I would say. I was like, Lord, you have a problem with me. Stop going after my loved ones. And we might not think about it, but that is, again, very arrogant and very self-centered to think that when God is dealing punishment on someone else, it's because of me. It's It's all my fault. Well, God, you need to come after me, not somebody else. God is not punishing someone else in your life for your sin. You are punished by God. Now, there are actions and consequences that people suffer through. And we'll talk about that next, but God is going to discipline you, not somebody else, for what you have done. And number three, we need to understand this. Very similar to our first point with karma, but not all tragedy is a discipline tool from God. Not everything that bad or that is bad in this world happens because God is disciplining you. So if we approach every major and minor difficulty and tragedy through the lens of, "Well, what did I do to make this happen? How could I have done better?" And friends, we're going to inevitably fall into viewing God as a karmaic force who is out to get us. You're putting yourself under pressure and a weight that you don't have to bear. We'll walk fearfully and we'll walk in a trepidatious manner with God. We'll be scared to make even the smallest decisions because we'll view every tragedy as God out to get us and we won't walk in the joy, love, peace, grace, and all-encompassing freedom that he has blessed us with. So when bad things happen, we don't go, God, why are you doing this to me? We need to remember that we live in a fallen world full of sinful people who do evil things. And additionally, we live under just natural laws on this earth. So what do I mean by that? Your car getting broken into is not God getting your attention, but rather a sinful person committed a crime against you and you just happened to be, uh, the, sorry, the lucky one in a, in a sense. I'm just, it's just a joke, Patty. It's a little luck, I'm sorry. That's my last time taking on Fatty, sorry. Uh, but another example, okay, you falling down and breaking your leg uh, is not God smiting you, but you tripped down the stairs, gravity did the rest. Okay, like we live under natural laws and there are people out there doing sinful things. So we can't view, my car got broken into, God is disciplining me through that lens. Because again, then we'll do that with everything, and then we'll do that We even the good. And then when we do good and it doesn't get rewarded, then we'll get angry with God. And then when we do bad and we think we're getting punished, we'll get angry with God. It's a lose-lose. When we, when we view our lives, we have to understand that bad things unfortunately happen due to sin in this world. And we need to also understand that dealing with consequences And the fallout of our own actions is not always the discipline of the Lord too. Other people and ourselves included will have to struggle and wrestle with the consequences of our sinful decisions. Maybe you've seen this in your life. Maybe someone has sinned and you received the fallout and you suffer the consequences of their sinful actions. Or maybe you were the sinner, if you will, and somebody else had to suffer those things. Okay, But often, that is, again, not to be mistaken with God's discipline. Sometimes tragedy strikes because of our own actions. We go bankrupt because of our financial decisions. We get divorced because of our emotional and marital decisions. Our children lash out and do different things based on our parental decisions. Our decisions have consequences. They are not a reflection of God's discipline necessarily on your life. So again, do not, friends, view every minor inconvenience as God trying to get you. It's fun to joke like that, but at the end of the day, we all know we're joking. So why do we take that as truth oftentimes? And I'm speaking to myself. And so with this out of the way, I want us now to look closely at what discipline is. So now that we jump into chapter two and look at what discipline is, I want us to have a better understanding now. So what is discipline? Well, there's two things. Number one, discipline is a protection. Discipline is a protection that God gives to us. Look at with me again, 15 and 17 from chapter one, and then I'll read the first half of chapter two. And so they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. So as we look at the text again from this morning, let's not lose sight of what was going on with Jonah. Jonah, last week we looked at, is trying to kill himself. Jonah is trying to commit suicide. Verse 15 and 17, toss me into the sea and let me die. Uh, And then they do that. But God protects Jonah through the disciplinary action of sending the fish to swallow him up. Jonah's trying to kill himself and then God says no and sends the fish to take him. But that alone wouldn't have solved the problem. If the, if the fish would have spit Jonah back up on day one or like hour two of being in the belly, Jonah's mind wouldn't have changed. He would have, I firmly believe that Jonah would have walked right back out into the ocean to drown himself. But it was the discipline of a three-day timeout, if you will, of which Jonah refers to as Sheol, refers to as hell on earth that had the effect. So this isn't just some slap on the wrist, It's a punishment from God that is described as hell, but it was given so that Jonah would be protected from death and protected from himself. And if we look at ourselves, let's be honest, we can all agree that no one is more of a worst enemy to us than us. I am my own worst enemy, We get ourselves into more trouble than any other outside influence has upon us. And more often than not, we go looking for it. And if we are not careful, we will stray further and further from God and his plans for us. Now, sometimes it's gradual and subtle. Other times, like Jonah, it's a leap and a sprint into sinfulness. Our actions have consequences, and our sins can severely harm us emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. They can harm us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 says, There is sin that leads to death. And I do not say that one should pray for that. So if there's sins that lead to death, God is going to discipline you so that you avoid these things, so that you don't die, that you are protected. His discipline is a protection over us. I don't wanna see you harmed and God doesn't wanna see you die one way or the other and he's going to protect you through disciplining you when you go off the beaten path. At my home, when I was little, there were these three trees alongside our driveway and the rule was, again, when I was little, maybe like first grade, that myself and our dog could not go beyond the third tree which was the closest one to the road. So I could play. We had a huge front yard. I could play as far out as I wanted to, but I couldn't go past that third tree. Our dog had no problem obeying this rule. However, I broke that rule, I know, one too many times. And my mom and dad would say, okay, now you can't go behind that second tree you broke the rules. This is your punishment. This is your discipline, if you will. I strayed too close to that busy street where cars would zoom by. And for my own protection and for my own care, I was disciplined and had stricter boundaries put on me. Why? Because they hated me and they didn't want me to have fun? No. So I would stay alive. So I wouldn't get hit by a car. And in our spiritual lives, God comes onto the scene oftentimes saying, friends, loved ones, what you are doing is going to kill you. It's going to lead to death physically, spiritually, emotionally, what have you. And I will not let that happen. You are my children. He protects us through discipline. Friends, If you are so immersed in sexual immorality and pornography, your capacity to love your spouse and to enter into a relationship if you're single is gonna be dead, it's gonna be impossible. You could do it, but it's not gonna be the way in which God intended. And if you lie, cheat, and steal, and you love to lie, if you love to to cover things up, your capacity to trust, your capacity to have authentic community is gonna be damaged And you emotionally and relationally will be dead. There are sins that lead to some form of death. And God is going to discipline us to protect us from that. And so this is why in chapter 12 of Hebrews, the author can boldly say, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. If you write in your Bibles, circle and underline this, if it isn't already, For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So when we get disciplined by God, our response should not be, Why are you doing this to me, God? But rather, God, thank you for saving me from my self because I oftentimes will walk straight into the counsel of the wicked and the seat of the scornful and not sit with the godly and the righteous. God is the one that has to pull me back and he will often do it through his discipline. God is protecting us, friends, from harm and in some cases, even death. And number two, what else is discipline from God? Discipline is a way to realign us. Discipline is a way in which God realigns us to himself. Look with me at verses 7 to 10. Jonah continues his prayer. And when my life was fainted away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah back onto dry land. Jonah ends his prayer by repenting and realigning himself to God and his original purpose. In the first half of this chapter, the first half of his prayer, we're focusing, and Jonah's focusing, on his suffering in the belly of the fish. The waters surrounded me. Out of the depths of Sheol, I cry out. We're focusing on the suffering, but in, in the Nate Stevens translation, if you will, the next couple verses then is Jonah essentially just saying, Okay, God, you win. I'll do it your way. I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go proclaim the gospel to Nineveh. I'll preach and tell them to repent in Nineveh. You see, Jonah had spiraled off the path of righteousness and it was a fast spiral. He went from, I mean, look at chapter one again. He went from hiding to running away to hiding again and then to trying to kill himself. This is a very different Jonah from the bold Jonah we see in 2 Kings chapter 14 who goes and proclaims truth from God to the known evil wicked king. I mean, we could easily be in this room saying, where's that Jonah? Jonah. Like, I want that, Jonah. I want the godly prophet, not the suicidal, cowardly prophet. I want the real deal, not the dollar general knockoff of Jonah. <laughs> he strayed away from God in the path of righteousness. And so, through the discipline of the fish, Jonah is brought back to the path and brought back to God. Jesus uh, plainly says in the gospel of Matthew chapter seven, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Okay, so it's almost impossible to stay on the correct path by yourself. Okay, actually I'm gonna say this. It's impossible to stay on the correct path by yourself. You need God's help. And when you begin to turn your gaze, when you begin to step off the path God and his discipline is going to be the ones to bring you back onto that path. It's like the rumble strips on the highway. If you turn your gaze one way or the other, you're going to start shaking. You're going to know you're going off course and that's going to realign you into your lane. That's what God's discipline does for us. It realigns us. It makes us get back onto the path. Friends, do not think that for a moment God is going to let you loose to live a sinful life if you belong to him. He is not content to save you and then turn you loose. If you get so far off the beaten path that you begin to lose sight of things, you begin to like sin a little bit more and more and the things of God a little less and less, he's going to do something to get your attention, to realign you. And it's through his lovingly or through his loving discipline. Why does he do this? I say this often because God is more committed to your happiness than you are. God is more committed to your happiness Than you are. And God knows what will bring you the most joy, fulfillment, and peace. And He's going to bring you there one way or the other. He knows that living in His will, whatever that will may be, maybe it's one of suffering or not, that is where you will find the most joy and happiness in life, is right in the middle of God's will. And He will bring you there. He is not going to let you off the path. So let me ask you this, friends. Is your life not going anywhere? I mean, do you try to to establish plans and make life decisions and choices, but they just fall apart immediately? Are you not progressing anywhere in life? Maybe God is disciplining you right now by not moving you forward, not moving you to the next step spiritually or what have you, because you need to address some sins in your life. Do you feel like you are not growing as a believer? Do you feel stagnant? Perhaps you have, maybe, unbeknownst to you, walked off the path of God, forgotten your first love, and so God is disciplining you until you and him can have a real talk. Uh, When I was writing up this this message, I couldn't help but think of a few people uh, in my life, myself included. I want to be very clear here. I see myself in this often. A very old friend of mine comes to mind. Uh, My friend's life was going so well at one point. They were happy. They had friends. They had loved ones surrounding them constantly, pouring into them. Their kids were flourishing. They bought a house, and this life was just going great for them. I mean, financially, spiritually, relationally, life was going good. They attended church weekly. They read their Bibles daily. They had a love for the Lord and a desire to learn and to grow And over time, I watched this close friend of mine lose sight of God. They stopped coming to church. They stopped bringing their children to church. They prioritized everything over worshiping God. They stopped living and serving God. They started hanging out with some people they shouldn't have. And that person's friends had to step away from them because of certain life decisions. Like, hey, you're going down a path I can't support and I can't follow, I can't be with, and I love you, but I have to back away for a time. And for myself included, they arrived at a point, and it's never our place to judge, but even myself, I had to say, I just don't see the fruits of a genuine believer in you. And I want you to come to know the Lord and to live the life that he's called you to live. And I look upon that same friend, I see them that they're bitter, depressed, alone, financially, emotionally, mentally, a wreck. For lack of a better term, their life is just falling apart, no matter how hard they try to piece it together without God in the picture. And friends, I can't make this call, but I firmly believe that God is disciplining my friend because they have forgotten their first love, and they have strayed too far away from him, and because they have walked according to their own desires. I see myself in this example oftentimes, and perhaps you see yourself in that example. Maybe you look at your life and see that God is lovingly disciplining you to get your attention, Maybe God is saying, hey, this is where I want you to go, but you're not ready for that until we can deal with what's going on right now. Maybe he is disciplining you. Maybe he's doing this so that you can flourish in him one day. Friends, in order for a garden to grow and to bear fruit, you have to first prune the things out. You have to first prune the weeds and the things that don't belong there, the things that suck the life out of the good. You have to get rid of this. You have to remove the things that don't belong there so that you can have the fruit and the life abundantly. Maybe your life is not bearing the fruit you desire because you have some things you need to prune. Maybe God has placed you in some sort of discipline until you are ready to deal with it, until you and God are ready to have a conversation. Because you better believe Jonah wasn't going anywhere until he repented and realigned himself. It could have been four days. It could have been five days. It could have been a week. It could have been a month. I firmly believe the Lord would have sustained Jonah. He did it for three days. He can do it longer. He could have firmly kept Jonah there as long as it needed until Jonah said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm back on the path. So two options, Christians, lay before us today. One And please do this one. Heed the calling and the discipline of God and walk in accordance to his statutes, his purposes, his desires. Or two, you can do things your way and ignore God, and you can keep getting disciplined by God until your life is an absolute wreck the shadow of what it could be and what it's supposed to be. My desire is that you will choose the first. Friends, each and every one of us in here are products of the discipline we received as children and as teenagers. Amongst many other things, we are shaped and molded by the discipline that we receive. And our spiritual lives are no different. God is molding you into his image And if we begin to go off the path like Jonah did, we can expect God to show up and say, no, this is what we're doing. You take all the time you need, friend, but one of these days you're going to get over here anyways, so let's save you the trouble and just come over now. The Lord will discipline until you realign yourself, your desires, your passions, your will to him. My hope and my greatest desire for every one of you in this room today is this. I want us to look back on the discipline that we've received from God. It's funny, when we're children and we're teenagers or young adults or whatever, we never understand why we're getting disciplined. And then we look back later and we're saying, oh, that's why. That's me. Well, I want us spiritually to look back on our lives one day. And I want us to look in this room now, look back on our lives and echo the words of Jonah at the end of his discipline saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. Friends, look at this sentence. This is the aim of discipline from God, to say this without a shadow of a doubt that salvation alone belongs to the Lord, or the Lord alone owns salvation. Discipline brings us to this sentence. Not heeding the discipline puts us in a bad and dangerous, sinful place. May we heed the discipline of the Lord so we can cry out in truth and in love, full of the Spirit, saying salvation belongs to the Lord. God, thank you for what you have done to me. Thank you for the discipline I have rightfully deserved and received from you. Thank you for being a good and loving and caring father.